0: Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we're going to continue our story of our loop series, Um, only this one's a little bit different because it's the story of my own loop, which if you're watching this on video on YouTube, you see Michael is here with me, so a little bit unusual. Uh, But yes, I have finally crossed my wake, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and we will bring in Karen Nettles from the Homeport Crew. She'll actually interview us instead of me doing the interviewing today. So before we jump in, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Great Loop Yacht Sales, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that part finished, I would like to go ahead and officially kind of turn the interviewee, I'm sorry, the interviewing duties over to Karen Nettles from the Homeport crew. Karen, thanks for being here.
1: Uh, Glad to be here. I know everybody's going to be excited to hear about your story. You've shared your journey along the way, and people have been giving you congratulations there in the forum. So why don't we just dive right in and um, start with why did you decide to do the loop?
0: Well, obviously, with working with AGLCA, it's hard not to get inspired by the enthusiasm of loopers. So uh, early on, I kind of thought I might do the loop by myself. And then eventually um, Michael and I got together and it became apparent, maybe I didn't have to do it by myself, um, but ultimately it was a combination of really wanting to do it for myself, wanting to actually experience the journey, but also obviously helpful for my job since I have been the director of AGLCA since about 2015. Um, how about you?
2: Mine's a little bit different story. Um I I know I always wanted to, I wanted to do the loop I just didn't expect it to come when it came um and and I basically uh have you know been in the organization and have seen people uh planning and and you know some that didn't get the chance to do it and I had a uh, motorcycle accident that I probably shouldn't have survived um, and I basically said, that's it. I want to do this. I want to have this adventure. So, you know, I I moved it up from, you know, waiting till I retired to do it while I was working. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm absolutely glad I did.
1: Well, I'm sure both of you have a, a lot of stuff to tell. And, and I know this loop was unique. So why don't you tell us why?
0: Yeah, probably the biggest um, unique thing about how we did this is that we are out of sync on our loops because Michael had done his first great loop in 2016, 17, 16, 17, starting from Chicago and finishing in Chicago Um, at which point he relocated the boat to Charleston. So kind of did another half loop. Um, We started dating and when we got ready to do the loop, we actually started from Fort Myers, but um, you know, he was already a loop and a half in, so he crossed his wake for the second time when we reached Chicago. Uh, and that was only, I still had my white flag. So for a long time, we were flying two flags. Actually, we still are flying two flags. <laughs> um, for a while, it was a white and a gold. My white, his gold. Now we are flying my gold and his platinum since he has crossed it twice. So that made for some unusual, um, just that that being out of sync, I think is pretty unique. I think we're the only boat I know of who was like that um although and you know in some cases if somebody's crewing for another in fact um my dad got his gold loop flag aboard michael's boat on that 20 on that relocation from chicago to charleston um, my dad did sections with him and and closed his loop by doing that so this boat the perch has actually um, <laughs> been ridden by a few who have gotten their their flags at different times and we just remained out of sync and and still are so if we ever get back to Back around the whole loop and back to fort myers he'll still be platinum because we really don't count beyond that and i'll earn my platinum but for now we're still out of sync and that's fine but just a little bit different
1: yeah and everybody makes the loop their own so totally. all right so when did you start the loop over what period of time and how many days did you spend cruising
0: <laughs> so i guess maybe another way that our loop is a little bit unique um we left charleston in november of 2021 um, November is not a great time to leave Charleston on the loop because if you head north as most loopers would from Charleston, it's getting cold pretty fast, but November was when we were ready to go. My youngest had just left for college. Uh, so instead of heading north, we went south and spent the winter in Fort Myers at Legacy Harbor Marina. And that was kind of, you know, our extended shakedown cruise, I guess you could stay, but, um, I had not lived aboard. We had not lived together, um, So we didn't really tell anybody our plan was to do the Great Loop. We just kind of said we're going to Florida for the winter because it would have been bad for business if I found out I hated this. (laughs) If living aboard was not for me or if I didn't like the lifestyle, that probably would have been not the best look. Um, So we kind of quietly went to Fort Myers, spent the winter there and found out this was fabulous and set out on the loop. So we left in February, late February of 2022 with the complete intentions of returning to fort myers around december of that same year because we would spend another winter in fort myers but uh hurricane ian had other plans returning to fort myers wasn't really possible do you want to talk about what we did in the interim
2: yeah well we, we wanted to be someplace warm obviously and um we got as far as panama city beach and kind of parked there for the winter it was a nice, very nice place it was uh there was a lot of space at the marina there was a lot to do right there
0: and it's a great marina and it's a
2: great marina absolutely a great marina um and then we stayed longer than we probably thought we would mainly you know primarily because of business as well as weather you know you're looking for a weather window at that point to cross the gulf and with not really wanting to you know cross the gulf and then you know go home we decided that maybe we would go back up to the Tennessee River in the summer and enjoy that for a side trip. So instead of crossing the Gulf, we stayed in Panama City Beach a little bit longer, uh, turned around, headed up the rivers in June, I think. Um, Spent the summer uh, based out of Huntsville, Alabama, which was fantastic. Um, Awesome cruising grounds. Did the uh, Tennessee River up up to the bottom of Lake Telco. Uh, and then back and then uh since then we've turned around came back down the rivers after the fall rendezvous and uh across the gulf and now we're we're here in punagorda for for this winter which is a little bit closer to fort myers um we really like the community here it's a very nice marina here at uh, lashley park marina um so uh, you know our when our time's up here we don't know where we're heading next
0: yeah but so uh we took a weekend uh two weekends ago now mm-hmm. i guess And took the run down to Fort Myers beach, which is where I've officially crossed my wake. And then we came back here to Punta Gorda to spend the rest of the winter. So in the end, it took us about two years after our first plan was a year, which I think that kind of schedule change is not that uncommon. Um, But the fact that we stayed aboard Kind of wintered a little further north than we maybe would have preferred uh, but then got some additional cruising in so it, it worked out great for us and i think it's kind of a case study and it, it doesn't always go the way you planned but it doesn't mean there's not other great options out there
1: yeah. right And like you said we've, we've seen other loopers, yeah, that, have loopers done, that have done done it for, a, for a, 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 i'm getting an echo sorry <laughs> We've seen other loopers that have done it over a course of the year, which most do. But then, like I said, some that do it over two or even multiple years because they do it in segments. So once again, you're making it your own. So um, Exactly.
0: That's what it's all about.
1: So speaking of of cruising, what kind of boat did you go on and and what made it great for looping?
0: So she is a Silverton 410 cockpit motor yacht. uh, Two staterooms, one head. It is a split head, which means one of us can be in the shower and one can be at the sink. Um, so that makes it a little bit more convenient. Um, you can give some of the more technical specs if you'd like. <laughs>
2: uh, being a motor yacht, it's a twin engine diesel, uh, 450 horsepower Cummins, you know, big engines, lots of power. Um, we only have the fly bridge to drive from. So that's where we do all of our driving. Uh, we don't have a lower helm. I'm I, I prefer not to have a lower helm because it frees up a lot more space for living. Um, so we have a lot more interior living space. Um there's a there's a lot of things I like about the boat, a lot of things I don't like about the boat, but overall it's been a good boat.
1: Well, I, I would say so since you've done now yeah. what two <laughs> two plus loops on it. So
2: yeah, I've been living on board since 2016. So yeah, I can't uh can't complain. And
1: I th- yeah. I think another thing that
0: makes us a bit unique is that I had nothing to do with the selection of the boat. Um, I am that rare person who got to join a boat that was well-proven, um, well-equipped, um, but also, you know, didn't get to pick my choice of the features and things I would like in a boat. And I think in the beginning, I didn't think this was the perfect boat. Um, but as time went by, I really came to love, this boat. Um, she is just about the average looper size. It's 41 feet. The average for loopers is between 40 and 41 feet. Um, the second stateroom is great for storage and for our 20 something year old kids when they come to visit because they don't mind that it's a little cave like. Um, but it's galley up, which gives me a beautiful view from this, my workspace where I spend a lot of time. Uh, so it's really. Uh, you know, early on, I would go on other boats and be like, well, wow, you can sit 10 for dinner on this boat, because it was a lot larger. (laughs) And thought, wouldn't that be great. And over time, I realized I don't need or necessarily want that kind of extra space. This is absolutely the perfect size. So Um, and Michael did a great job of making space for my stuff, (laughs) even though the boat was already (laughs) full. So that was a big
1: bonus. (laughs) Well, speaking of the boat, um, what about your cruising preferences, you know, anchoring versus staying in a marina and cruising, you know, during the week or whenever, as opposed to staying in a place and visiting and seeing sights and so forth?
2: I can lead off with, uh, (laughs) on my first loop in 1617, I anchored once, and that was out of necessity, Uh, ran out of daylight, so um, I'm, I'm personally not a big anchoring person. Um, I'm ex Navy, and and uh, you know, it, it's my experience, it's been drilled into me from the Navy that if we're you know, if we're doing an evolution like anchoring, he's got to be on watch. So, I don't sleep well at anchor, I'm constantly you know, watching the anchor alarm and all that kind of stuff. I know it's ridiculous, but um, it's just Just how I'm wired. At least you admit it. Yeah. Kim Kim (laughs) sleeps very well because she knows I'm watching everything. So, (laughs) Um, but we have, we have anchored more. Um, I would still say we're far more, you know.
0: Other, you know, other preferences, um, you know, I I think total, we anchored maybe five times on the loop, maybe, maybe a couple more than that, but it certainly was not our primary form of spending the night. Um, Although I would like to do more of it. And that's kind of our one of our next goals is to become more comfortable with that idea. If we can get him to relinquish control for a few minutes that, you know, we'll be okay. (laughs) anchor. Um, We our average miles per day probably is a little bit higher than some for most loopers. It's 50 miles a day. We both work full time and Michael's work in particular requires him to be able to leave the boat frequently to fly to different places so because of that we were sometimes making some longer runs than a lot of loopers would do i think our total number of days it it gets a little uh, muddied because of the trip back up the river system um so in total in that two-year period we did 6,500 miles or so nautical miles and that's not including the rundown from charleston uh before we did the loop but um You know, when you start to break down the average number of miles per day, I'd have to do the math on that. But our total loop, I believe, was just under 100 legs. So 100 days of moving the boat. I want to say it was 93 or 94. Um, So just under 100, which is pretty typical, but a little bit on the low side. Our average was probably... um, more like 60 miles a day, 55 to 60 miles a day. We had a couple of really long runs that probably affected that. I haven't done the actual math, but we did most of our planning starting from that looper 50-mile average and then decided, okay, where do we want to go from here that's roughly in that range, give or take some. Um We tended to stay in one place for several days at a time if there was something that we wanted to see or do, or often Michael was leaving the boat and I would just stay where we were waiting for him, which was great for me because I got to go and explore and and really experience the different things that there were in some of these different areas. Um, But, you know, to sum it up, we were probably a little bit different in that uh, we did a little bit longer runs often and we are uh, mostly marina people.
1: Okay. Um, Well, can you explain the difference between the reality of the trip and your expectations before you began?
0: I can tell you mine. I'd love to hear yours. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if we've discussed that, but I have said, Um, a lot of people have asked me, you know, did it, is it what I expected? Because I had talked about it for so long and learned about it for so long and the only way I can describe it is that it was as I expected, but more so. And and when I say more so, I mean more of everything. So uh, scenery was more beautiful. Um, the, the rewards, if you will, were more fabulous. The challenges were more challenging. The highs were higher, the lows were lower. Um, and I think that really just boils down to you you can't truly understand this until you feel it yourself and you feel those emotions and those things that happen along the way. So that's kind of how it compares to what I expected. It was just more of everything. How about you for the second loop?
2: (laughs) Well, for my, I I want to compare it to my first loop and that was 63 days underway. So ours was 93 days underway. Mine was 63 days. So I was obviously moving long days. Um, A lot of it was single-handed. So my first loop, a lot of it was a blur. We've covered many of the same tracks and I was like, "Hmm, I don't remember this. So, you know, it's a lot of it was a blur, but um, having been with this organization for so long and hearing all the couples talk about what it's like as a couple to do the loop, this is absolutely what, I, I've enjoyed about this loop is having been on board with Kim and uh, actually getting out and having somebody to share that with and, you know, just just uh, really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, sounds like... Uh... And,
0: uh... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Karen.
1: I was just going to say something. You were just saying your expectations seems like what a a lot of loopers say, you know, that it's just more, you know, highs and lows and more beauty and more experiences and the relationships and everything is, is what makes it the highlight.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Let's take a quick break and play a message from some of our sponsors and then we'll come back and pick up the conversation back in a moment.
1: Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, Pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul out service. For more information, call 315 676 9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA.
0: Prop Talk is an Annapolis based company founded in the summer of 2005 by active Chesapeake Bay boaters. The company produces Prop Talk Magazine, a monthly newsprint magazine focused on Chesapeake Bay power boating and the lifestyle surrounding boating on the bay. Every issue of Prop Talk is distributed at more than 850 carefully chosen and closely monitored locations throughout the Mid-Atlantic. Prop Talk's coverage goes deep rather than wide, and the magazine celebrates the people, places, boats, personalities, and events that make the Chesapeake one of the world's premier boating grounds. Thanks for reading and supporting the Chesapeake Bay's boating magazine. Back on the Great Loop Radio podcast. Today, we are covering another one of our story of our loop. Only this time it is my loop. So Michael is here with me to talk about that. And Karen is doing the interviewing. So uh, go ahead, Karen,
1: fire away. All right. Well, we just talked about your expectations for the trip and, and looking at it in that aspect. But what were some of the highlights of the trip?
0: You know, the highlights are definitely just the lifestyle for me. Um, I really enjoy being at marinas. And I think even if we did more anchoring, even if Michael was could sleep at anchor, we probably would still be mostly marina people because we really enjoy that aspect of exploring the towns, um, seeing the other loopers. Um, so kind of the highlight for me is just the overall lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to pick a few places that were highlights, um, I loved Clayton, New York was one of my favorite small towns for sure. Um, I loved Charlevoix, Michigan, also another of my favorites, and we got weathered in there for a little extra time and I did not mind at all. Um, big cities, Milwaukee was a real, um, surprise for me. I didn't expect to love Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee doesn't get much buzz and it, you know, gets a bad rap from some, um, Not everyone goes through Milwaukee though, because you have to pick one side of the lake or the other for the most part. Um, But I was blown away by Milwaukee. I also have always loved Chicago and New York. So those were big highlights too. And I think um, I liked Fort Lauderdale way better than I expected Hmm. to. It was really early on in our loop since we started from um, Fort Myers and went down to the Keys. Um, Once we finished at the Keys for a few weeks and it started to head north, Fort Lauderdale was a pretty early stop. And it was one of those things that has happened in other places, too. But it's one of the highlights for me is the unexpected when you, you know, maybe don't know what to expect or just expect a normal stop. And we pulled into Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it was uh, St. Patrick's Day weekend. Yep. So there were parades going on. There were uh, it was a big festival in one of the parks right in walking distance. Lots of restaurants, lots of shops. Animals. Um Uh, the things you don't expect to see on the great loop. We saw a (laughs) camel in Fort Lauderdale, which is ridiculous, but it's memorable because it's just the unexpected. We also saw um, a U2 tribute band because of St. Patrick's day, I guess. um, That was really good. And it was just one of those just kind of happy, joyful, wow, we're getting to do this. And that happened in other places Mm -hmm. too, but that is a highlight to have that unexpected, um, really fun stop happen. Anything I, I left out?
2: Well, no, I agree with all those points. I think for me, it was, there was some cruising ground that I didn't do on my first loop, which I did on this loop, which was the Dismal Swamp, uh, the Thousand Islands. I did not Tennessee River, I've done some of because I went up to Wheeler last year or when I was on my loop to the rendezvous, but we went much further. So the new water, the new territory, the new miles um, were definitely a highlight for me.
1: I'm sure that it's hard to even pick what the highlights are because everything is so beautiful and everything. So speaking of highlights, what about some of the challenges? How did you overcome those? What were some of those?
0: Well, do you want to talk about the lock of tears?
2: <laughs> I wasn't crying.
0: <laughs> is it, for me, one of the early, well, it wasn't even that early. Yes. One of the challenges um, we arrived at the federal lock in Troy, New York, um, and for some reason I was just not on my game. I was not prepared. Um
2: And I was clueless.
0: <laughs> clueless as to what was wrong with me. <laughs> he knew what was going on with the boat and the waterway and the lock. Um, but I you know, in my head, even though I knew the route and had expectations, we weren't gonna hit another lock till we turned onto the Erie Canal. The Erie Canal starts at lock two. <laughs> the first one is actually on the Hudson, it is the federal lock. So I wasn't ready for it. And not only was I not ready to know that, wow, there's a lock right there, usually I look ahead of time to see um, what kind of uh, tie-offs they have. So if it's a cable that I'm going to be wrapping a line around, or if it's a bollard that I'm going to wrap a line around, or if it's a weighted, whatever it might be, I like to know. Um, Sometimes you can look up ahead of time if there's a particular side. I had done none of that. So we got in there and and my reaction to extreme frustration is sometimes to cry. (laughs) Um, So we have since dubbed that federal lock, the lock of tears. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, ultimately me being useless in that moment was just fine because Michael has single handed most of one loop so he can do a lock by himself. Uh, But
2: that wasn't the answer
0: that, that, you know, the challenge, I, I didn't want him to just do it for me. But it was all on me. I should have been prepared. And that was a a lesson learned. And since then, I look up in Waterway Guide before we hit any lock, all of the details. So I know what to expect. Um, You know, and I think one of the other challenges, and I couldn't put my finger on it for a long time, but there is an adjustment period. And I think it happens a lot. Um, It is a different lifestyle. And even once we started actively moving, You know, every couple of days on the Great Loop. It was very different than sitting in Fort Myers for three months. And there is an adjustment period. And we got to somewhere on the Chesapeake. And we have been at it for a while now. And a couple of the um, other ladies were chatting and we were talking over dinner. And one of them said, and I I think she just nailed the feeling that I had, but couldn't quite put my finger on it. She said, I've been out of my comfort zone every day for two months now. And she kind of nailed it and you know for some of us we thrive on that being out of our comfort zone because it's a challenge and it's an achievement but when you're doing that day after day it can get a little bit uncomfortable um and i think just acknowledging that even for me who had been talking about this for years that there is still a settling in period was empowering for me to know oh it's okay that's all it is and i've been finding that as i talk to more and more loopers most people are saying a couple months even if they're loving it. And even if it, you know, nobody on the boat was reluctant, but it still takes a couple of months to really find your groove. Um, so I think that's important for people to know, because if you're not a hundred percent enjoying it in the first couple of months, it's probably pretty normal.
1: Well, that makes sense with anything. it always takes the, a while to get into the groove of, of something new. So that makes perfect sense. Um, speaking of talking about some of the challenges of, uh, and even the highlights, what did you gain from doing the loop?
0: You want to go first or should I go first? Don't be, go first. Okay. <laughs> um, I can be a little bit of a control freak. So I gained, you know, a little bit, not, I'm not completely cured, but a little bit of an ability to just breathe and let it happen. I am not go with the flow. I am not in control of a lot of this. Um, so I gained a little bit of internal peace on that. Um, I think I also gained um, simplification Um, and I've talked before, um, you know, it's a much simpler lifestyle from a, a, in some ways it's much harder, (laughs) Um, but it's simplified in that you're living in a small space, um, you know. People may come over for drinks and you're serving them wine in a solo cup and nobody cares. It's a boat. Um, Nobody's expecting fine dining in China, although some people do have China with their boat. Um, Once you get out here, it is so different than land life. There is no keeping up with the Joneses. Nobody cares what kind of a boat you're on. Um, Somebody once described the loop to me as the great equalizer and I bought into that at the time but this is another one of those things that once you feel it you realize how true that was and I think for me that is kind of a peaceful feeling um you don't need anything fancy you don't need anything big um you can have people over for dinner and not have a chair for them they don't care (laughs) (laughs) um it's just a from that perspective simplification and that has been huge for me
2: yeah I I like you know I'm, I'm not a big fan of the uh HGTV shows about small living and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really what we're doing. It's just, it's such a different, um, it's it's such a different type of living than living in a house. And I, I really enjoy being on board. I love being in the marinas. I love being on the water. See us not being, not doing this. I mean, it's it's just a lot of fun. Yep. Great lifestyle.
1: Well, speaking of that lifestyle, what advice would you have for newbies and wannabes?
2: Do it. (laughs)
0: You know, I would say, um, take that leap of faith. Um, and for me, it was still a leap of faith. As I said, we had not, um, lived together, particularly in a small space. So there was some unknown there. Um, but it's been so, such an amazing journey that, you know, taking that leap of faith, I wouldn't have say I wouldn't say I was reluctant, um, but it still took a little bit of okay, just do it. <laughs> just go. Um, it'll be fine. Um, and just remember it's um it is a adventure of a lifetime. Do it your way. There is no right or wrong way to do it. So make sure you're doing it in a way that you enjoy. And when you stop enjoying it, reassess. Um, you know, is there something you can adjust? Because often there is, and we've had lots of people who, you know, get part way done and decide that wasn't the right boat. And they sell it and get the right boat. Um, so you know, really put some put some deep thought into what will make it a good journey for you. And if it's not turning out to be that, it's fine to step back and reassess. Uh, that's probably what I would say. Anything else?
2: The only thing I'd add is that uh, don't don't overplan, or or don't even like you know when you're shopping for your boat, don't overanalyze. You know the there are never going to be any, nothing is ever going to be perfect. You know, if you get a boat that's 80, 20, you're doing great. Um, But, but I've seen too many people, especially during COVID who are just planning like eternal planners and wanted to do this loop. And you could see that they had the, you know, the, the drive and the, and the desire to do this and never made it. And that to me goes back to where I came from, you know, about, you know, Maybe I wouldn't have been able to do this, and i'm I'm so lucky and so glad that I was able to do this, so just get out there and
1: I think that's what most people say is just yep. at the dock lines and go so yeah. do y'all have anything else to to add that we haven't covered that you want to share about your story? um
0: just that we've been asked a lot, you know what's next, and quite frankly, I'm not sure that we know yet <laughs> um we are definitely not done cruising uh we will spend the rest of the winter in Fort Myers, and then we probably, Punta. sorry, Punta Gorda. <laughs> and then we will probably point the boat back towards Charleston for a little bit, kind of uh, give some attention and love to the people and things back in Charleston that we have left behind for um, over two years now, when we really thought when we left we were gonna be gone for a year to a year and a half. Um, High on our list of next potential cruises is possibly the Triangle, um, so uh, going up the Lake Champlain route, which neither of us has done, and then doing the Rideau in Canada, which is one of the canals we did not do. And uh, so new new cruising ground for both of us. Um, and at that point, the big decision would be, do we just head back south on the East Coast, which we've done, or do we try the road less traveled? <laughs> Uh, I would love to do parts that both of us have not done, which would include the rest of the Erie Canal, which uh, the big hindrance there is this boat cannot clear the bridges. Our air draft is too high. Um, So that's kind of the wrinkle there. But if we could do the Erie Canal and end up in Lake Erie, um, we could go across Lake Erie and around the mid of Michigan. So the parts of Lake Huron we haven't done We could do the Michigan side of Lake Michigan because we did the Wisconsin side and Michael did the Wisconsin side both times down Lake Michigan or so at that point, a good bit of that trip is ground we have not covered before. So we'll see. Um, Like I said, we're not done cruising. We're just not sure uh, when exactly all that'll take place. So stay tuned.
1: Well, it sounds like there's a lot more adventure for the perch and Margo too.
0: <laughs> Margot, Yep. Yeah, she's over there. Uh, I don't know if you can hear in the background noise, but she's chewing on things in her cage there. And for those of you who have not followed along, Margot is Michael's parrot who um, for the first, at least year and a half was actively trying to uh, chew me up and spit me out and get me off of her boat because the perch is named for her and she has spent A lot more time aboard, actually, and has more miles than me. (laughs) Um,
2: So a platinum looper.
0: Yes, but I think Margo and I have raised a bit of a truce at this point, so all good.
2: (laughs) Well,
1: I think we've covered everything with your story, so I'm sure everybody is going to enjoy to to listen to this in the the series that we have, so I'm sure they're going to look forward to listening to this and getting some information that they can use to plan their own great loops.
0: Yep, hopefully so. We appreciate everybody uh, listening and watching. And Karen, we appreciate you asking the questions today. Um, And just thanks to everyone. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Great Loop Radio podcast. Until then, safe cruising.